0: From the EPR Creation Studio, this is the Unconquered Podcast, and we are here. The season has come. This is the preview for the first game of the season, Florida State versus Georgia Tech. As always, this show is brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. If you have any need for an improved internet presence or just want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations or send them an email. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast you'll be glad you did informations in the show notes georgia tech is an interesting team this year coming in they this is year 2 but really in a lot of ways you have to count the first year as year 0 when you're transitioning from a flexbone but this is year 2 of that transition from paul paul johnson's flexbone program to jeff collins who has brought a more modern offensive style although the flexbone in a lot of ways does a lot of the same sorts of things that modern uh, spread option offenses do, but it's still a really, really big rebuilding task because you really just have to flip the roster. There's so many things that have to change when you've decided that you're going to throw the football a little bit more and when you're using a different set of blocking schemes as your core up front, the you're, you're, you have to change a bunch on the line of scrimmage and then you have to actually recruit wide receivers and quarterbacks that are completely different than what you what you go for on the flexbone side. Obviously, everybody knows that. But the other thing that a lot of people don't realize about where Georgia Tech was when Paul Johnson finally retired is they had they, gotten really bad on defense. And really, it boiled down to Georgia Tech just not being able to recruit the athletes in the final years of Paul Johnson's tenure there. And they were just outmanned athletically on the football field, on the defensive side of the ball. They got small up front, they didn't have a ton at linebacker. They didn't have a bunch of, uh, of corners to be proud of. And it was just one of those things where people underestimate. Everybody knows that, that the transition offensively from, flex bo- from the flex bone is going to be a big one. But a lot of people underestimate how, how much that affects your defense when you're recruiting defensive players who know that, let's say you're a cornerback and you want to you want to develop as well as possible. You're a top end corner. Why would you want to go to a flexbone team where you're not going to defend the pass all that much in practice? Essentially, during camp, during all that stuff, you're not pre- you're not preparing in ways that are going to maximize how how good you can get. So, there, it's just something that impacts the what kind of players you can get, not only on the offensive side, but on the defensive side. And they had really fallen off. They were 100th in defensive SP SP plus in Paul Johnson's final year. And they just didn't have talent. If, If you watch them defensively, they were slow and they were small. And that's a really bad combination. So when Collins got in, he had the task of flipping the roster, not only on the offensive side, but on the defensive side. And you saw that last year. That said, I think, Collins and his staff is one of the best recruiting staffs in the country. They, I think they do a fantastic job in terms of talent evaluation. And the reason I think that, by the way, is I think I'm a pretty good talent evaluator. And every time I see a player that I really like and I feel like he's underrated, I look and, I, and Georgia Tech's one of the first offers. It's like, oh, ho, 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 interesting. And over and over and over again, those guys are on players early that I think and that I end up thinking are underrated or, or better than lots of other people do. And and so I might be wrong. They might be wrong, but I think they're I think that's a pretty good set of talent evaluators there in Atlanta. And I think the the future is bright in Atlanta as a result. I think that I think that's that staff is going to get Georgia Tech to a higher level than they've been in recent years. I think they're I think they're going to be pretty good there. And in that sense, I'm actually glad to that if you're if you're Mike Norvell, you're glad to get Georgia Tech in game one when they're still transitioning, when they're probably going to have a new quarterback, when they're still really young. At the end of this year, I think they're going to be a dangerous football team. So that, that's something to think about just in terms of, of the draw. I think, I think it's a good thing to get this team early because I think late in the year, they'll, they'll probably claim a, a scalp or two late in the year that that they probably wouldn't have been projected to get early in the year. So we're going to go ahead and start with the Georgia Tech defense against the Florida State offense. We'll look at that matchup after this. I want to pause for a moment and thank Louis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Over 90 percent of home buyers search online first these days, so it's critical to make sure your listing stands out with great pictures and video. Lewis is a trained photographer and videographer. Other realtors have hired him to come photograph their listings, and nobody will make your home look better for prospective home buyers, including smooth, professional walkthrough video. And if you're in the market to buy a home in the greater Jacksonville area, no one will outwork Lewis. He was a manager at the Pickup Publix on Ocala and Tallahassee, so you know he works hard and understands customer service. He'll help you find the right house and make sure every step goes smoothly through closing. Information in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. So Georgia Tech last year was one of the youngest defenses in the country. They played 16 freshmen and sophomores over 100 snaps last year. They were almost impossibly young on defense. And the results were kind of what you'd expect in that regard, in that they weren't very good. Because they just, I mean, very young on defense. But here's the thing. They were, they did actually improve from the year before. They went from 100th in defensive SP plus to 71st, despite that roster turnover, despite playing all those young players. And that means that they're going to get better this year. They should be better defensively this year than they were last year, just by virtue of those freshmen becoming sophomores and those sophomores becoming juniors. So they were really bad defensively last year even worse than what we saw from florida state a good bit worse but there's there's re- there's reason to believe that they're going to be another say 15 to 20% better this year than they were last year so in, if the same number of teams were playing you'd be looking at that 71st just on just by virtue of of players getting older you'd be looking at that 71st probably moving closer to 55th or so just by virtue of that and they're adding a couple transfers as well. So this is a this is a, a team that is getting more talented, and they're getting they're getting more experienced as well. They've got a few players, so not complete. The talent is not completely absent now. And and again, Collins has already done a good job using the transfer portal, recruiting guys that that actually belong in the ACC on defense, and beginning to flip that roster. This is going to be a good football team in a couple of years. Defensively, they're, they're going to be they're going to be good. Probably even next year they'll be in the upper half of the of the ACC next year. But if you look at what they did last year, the biggest issue is that they couldn't stop the run. They were okay against the pass, seven point five yards per yards per attempt. Gave up seventeen touchdowns, six interceptions. Average quarterback rating against them by FBS uh, quarterbacks was one thirty seven point five nine. That's not terrible defensively. It's not great. But I mean, you think about it, that's a little bit worse than what Florida State's quarterbacks were last year against FBS competition. And I don't think anybody from Florida State is really crowing that they had great play at the quarterback position last year. So right right around that, Florida State for what it's worth, 7.8 yards per attempt as opposed to Georgia Tech giving up 7.5, 21 and 12, and a 142 rating. So a, a difference in five points on, on passer rating. So pretty comparable. Basically you could kind of expect teams against georgia tech to look more or less on average like florida state looked as a passing offense. So not not great but not absolutely horrible either. But they just couldn't stop the run. That was the, that was the problem for them. Teams didn't need to pass against them. They gave up almost 5 yards per carry. In 11 games they gave up 11 games against FBS, FBS competition, they gave up 4.84 yards per carry and 25 touchdowns. That's 2.27 so two and a quarter touchdowns per game rushing along with almost five yards of carry. And to put that in perspective, Florida state against FBS competition averaged 3.6 yards per carry. And that's with Cam Akers last year. So they, at the average FBS team against Georgia tech looked about 45% better as a rushing offense than Florida state looked against the against uh, FBS teams last year. So if you needed to cure what ails your running your running game, just do it against Georgia Tech, and they they couldn't stop anyone in short yardage. They're, uh, over ninety percent of short yardage plays went for a first down against Georgia Tech last year. Just small and not not good enough up front. What's amazing is that they still managed to be seventy first in, in S and P plus or in, S, in defensive S P plus which tells you that they did a good job scheming to try to deal with some of those weaknesses. So I think still, given, given the fact that they, they still are only one year removed from that, they are adding University of Florida defensive end transfer Ota- Antonius Clayton. They're adding another couple defensive, defensive tackles that are, that, are, that are not bad. But overall, and, and Derek Allen, also a Notre, Notre Dame safety transfer. And they run a 4 So th- they're going to be able to put three quality safeties on the field. I, I liked Allen a good bit coming out of high school. And uh, Wanya Thomas is, I think, one of the best safeties in the country. So you're looking at a quality secondary. I also liked corner Trey Swilling, who's a, a legacy there, uh, Pat Swilling's son, the longtime NFL linebacker. Uh, they, they are They are good in the secondary. And so, you know, all told what this amounts to in my view if you're Florida State is you know that you've got a weak defensive line going up against your questionable offensive line and you got to ask the ask the question on the edge how much difference does Clayton make? Can my offensive tackles block him? Cuz at the defensive tackle position even with the guys that they're that they're adding I'm not super impressed. They're going to be better, but it's not going to be it's not going to be great. So if, if you feel like you can block those ends at all, you feel really good. Either way, you feel like you're going to have a pretty good edge on the offensive interior and that you'll be able to control those defensive tackles. So essentially what you have is a is a bad offensive line against a, or maybe average, maybe, maybe, we'll see, but a question mark of an offensive line against a question mark of a defensive line and then a pretty good one, you know, top half of the ACC secondary with three really good safeties against James Blackman in the, in the Florida State passing offense. To me, that makes this it makes it very obvious what you should expect on the offensive side of the ball. And, and having watched and broken down for, for the Patreon page uh, what Norvell did against Ole Miss, I think we've got a pretty good sense of what Norvell is likely to do in this game. And I, I think what we'll see is a pretty conservative approach come out with some exploratory jabs, see how his guys respond and just make sure that he doesn't put James Blackman or the, or the offense in a position where they're likely to lose the football game. This is very much a a game where you don't tell your players this, but basically you call this game not to lose as a, as a, as a, as an offensive on the offensive side, based on the matchups. Because you should be able to run the football on this defense, run your base RPOs and some screens and things like that, and then set up a few downfield shots. We'll see. We'll see how that works. But I think that's what we're going to see. And the other thing you have to remember is that, that with, with this being the first year in a new offense, with no spring, with all of the weirdness that we've seen, you're going to see some motion penalties and false starts and everything else that are going to result in Florida State being behind the, st- behind the sticks. So at that point you got to if you're Mike Norvell you have to ask yourself do i do i want to throw on second and 15 if it's third and 12 do i want to trust my quarterback against that secondary or do i want to just hand the ball off or you know throw a screen that sort of thing and play for field position and honestly i think we're going to see the latter i think i think there's going to be some times where they're going to play behind the sticks and then you're going to see some conservative calls from Norvell on third down, along with a, with a much slower tempo than what we saw last year, except for in specific spots where he likes the matchup or likes what he's got in terms of uh, personnel on the field, or feels like he can he can suddenly catch catch them sleeping. You're going to see a slower tempo because they're just not wanting to put their offense in a position to make those mis- to make some make big mistakes. The other part to this, the other reason that you take that offensive approach is because of what Georgia Tech is and is not a likely to be able to do on offense. And that's where we're going to go next. I want to pause for a moment and thank Shenandoah Newsma from Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I've been surprised by how many listeners this podcast has in North Carolina. And if you or someone you know is looking for a realtor in the research triangle, Shannon is the best in the business. There's a lot of realtors out there, but not many have a Ph.D. Shannon did her Ph.D. at UNC and knows how to put that research training to work. My wife and I worked with her when we were looking for a house several years ago, and she sets the standard for having every bit of information possible to help her clients. She is relentless. She's also an ace negotiator as she understands both the economics and psychology of the buying and selling process. You'll want her on your side, whether you're buying or selling your house. Her information's in the show notes. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. So Georgia Tech offensively last year was flat out awful. They were 117th in SP plus and 125th in success rate. So that means that they played behind the chains all season and with a team that couldn't throw the ball. I mean, you're looking at a team that with James Graham, James Graham was a quarterback who was recruited to run Paul Johnson's offense. And now all of a sudden you've got him in the shotgun with three receivers and those receivers had between the three of them, roughly a 50% catch, catch rate on catchable balls last year. So balls thrown in their direction, roughly 50%. That's, that's not good. And not a bunch of big play potential from those guys. Now, they do add Mar- Mar- Marquez Ezard. Many of you will remember him as a one-time Florida State commitment from back in, uh, in Jimbo Fisher's last time at Florida State, who eventually went elsewhere when Willie Taggart took over. He's a Miami transfer. Miami took him, and now he's transferred to Georgia Tech. Ezard is a, is a good prospect, and he'll be probably their best wide receiver this year. But the thing about Ezard is he's also not especially fast. He's he's probably a 4'6", 4'6", 5 guy, big-bodied receiver. So not as much of a big play threat there as, as what you might have. They've got a couple guys that can run, but again, they they're, they don't have a real difference-making playmaker on the outside at receiver. So if you're Florida State, you feel like you can single cover those guys and, and probably get away with it. Not that you necessarily want to do that the whole game. But you feel like you can get away with it. So they, and they didn't even have Ezard last year. So they just did not have playmakers on the outside. And then with Graham at quarterback, he he can run. He was recruited to play quarterback in the, in the flex bone. And they did the best that they could with him, but he just doesn't really fit what they want to do, which is one of the reasons why I think we're going to see Jeff Sims, the the former Florida state commitment when Willie Taggart was at Florida state, the former Florida state commitment from Jacksonville. I think he's probably going to be the starter simply because he's a better thrower and and, and also because I think he, they, they know that he's probably the future there. So, you know, just go ahead and get that started. That said, here's the thing. Jeff Sims is still not an elite passer either. I think Sims really compares pretty well, sort of similar to EJ Manuel. A, a strider, uh, a bit of a glider as a, as a runner, good athlete, good arm, you know, good enough arm, but not a prototypical passer, pretty raw at this stage. And, you know, not the, doesn't have the most touch in the world, but still, I think an upgrade at that in terms of passing over what they had there. Now, the other thing is that last year they had eight freshmen or sophomores play on the offensive line. Eight guys saw meaningful reps. On the offensive line last year, who were freshmen or sophomores. So they're going to get better at offensive line as well. And they're going to need to because they averaged below four yards per carry last year, 3.97 yards per carry against FBS teams. And that's despite having good backs. This is probably the third best running back crew in the ACC. Partly, and I say that partly because I think Jameer Gibbs was the top back in the country coming out of high school last year. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's Dalvin Cookish. That kind of that kind of wheels, that kind of acceleration, a a guy that, you know, I was really hoping that Florida State would actually be able to land because in Norvell's offense, he would have he would have probably been he would along with with Corbin, he would have been the starter at Florida State. He would have been he would have split time and been one of the two guys that gets the most carries at Florida State and probably would have would have led Florida State in rushing as a result, because you're talking about a guy that is explosive. And Jordan Mason averaged 5.2 yards per carry last year. Good back over 200 pounds. He's gonna get get the yards that he earns. But Gibbs is gonna be a guy that he's gonna be the difference there. He's gonna be you know potential all-American there before too long. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's good to get Georgia Tech now. Get Georgia Tech while Sims and Gibbs are not established yet. And before those guys have really taken over on offense there, because Gibbs changes things in terms of their big playability. But if he but but if he hasn't had spring. Still learning some things, not maybe not quite ready. I mean, you remember it took Dalvin Cook a little while at Florida State. So, you know, there's going to be some mistakes. You can maybe take advantage of some of those, maybe puts the ball on the ground. These sorts of things happen with a young back. Good to get him now. But after midseason, those two guys are probably going to be starting to find their feet a little bit. So good to get him now. And I think with Florida State, what you're going to basically do is you want Georgia Tech to beat you throwing. You want to force them to throw the football. You want to stop the run. In college football these days, you want to stop the pass generally, but in this game, stop the run. Force them to uh, to throw the football to beat you. But you you don't want to give them some give them deep shots that sort of thing too much. So you you play you know aggressive up front, some eight man line of scrimmage that sort of thing. But play over the top. With your, with your corners. Make them execute underneath. Make them matriculate the ball down the field throwing 10, 12-yard passes. See if they can execute those. Because last year they sure couldn't. So that's what you do if you're Florida State defensively. Use your physicality inside to shut the run down inside out and then force them to beat you on the short to intermediate passing game, particularly in the intermediate zones. And I think if you do that, they're going to have a very hard time driving the ball down the field on, on, a, on a regular basis. I just don't think you're going to see Georgia Tech with a lot of long drives. And you think about it, last year they averaged six, 4.67 yards per play, which is not good. I mean, generally, if, you, if you're a defense and you give up 4.5 yards per play, you feel like you've done real work. I think this this game against Florida State, you're going to see pretty similar yards for play output. About four, 4.3 is what I'm projecting there on uh, for, for them to get defensively. But again, that's kind of a guess. That's a total guess at this point based on roster strength and everything else. We haven't seen enough from either team to really be sure. But given that, given those two matchups, given that you don't think that their offense is going to be able to drive the field against your defense... Given that they don't have a bunch of big play threats, but you you can try to take what they do have away and force them to execute in the shorter stuff, and they're going to have a harder time with that. So if you basically take away the interior run, take away the the deep throw, everything else that, that, that they're able to do is just going to be basically trying to move the ball down the field slowly. And that's going to require a level of execution out of that offense that I don't think they're going to really be able to do well. So going back then to thinking about what you do offensively, that explains why when you come in, not only based on what, what the offensive defensive matchup is, but based on how your defense matches up against their offense. When you come in as a, as a head coach, you say, you know what? I want to run the football in this game. I'm going to run my base RPOs. So, you know, if they load the box on me, I'm going to, I'm going to throw those little screens and some, some quick game and some, uh, little glance routes and those sorts of things. I'm going to, I'm going to do that stuff in order to make sure that I'm putting my quarterback in a position where he's not going to lose a game for me and where I can build his confidence. And then you set up a few downfield shots. This is a game where I think Norvell's, reputation of if he gets around midfield for the you know plus forty five. So once he crosses over in enemy territory, look out for the play action shot play. Look out for the kind of shot play where you see a quarterback roll one direction or the other and then you see say a post on one side and a climb or a you know a deep crossing route coming from the other side and quarterback takes his pick of whichever one comes open. That's the sort of thing you're gonna see. But what as soon as they cross into enemy territory, that's what you're gonna see. A couple of those, so you'll see some downfield shots once they get into plus territory. Go ahead and try to try to get into a situation where you know you're gonna you're gonna score a touchdown, and you can get a cheap one maybe, as opposed to uh, you know settling for field goals that sort of thing. Get it while you still have the opportunity to stretch the field. But given that you're gonna expect motion penalties and false starts from both sides, you're gonna see teams playing from behind the sticks and all of that. I think this is gonna be an ugly game. And what you're doing, if you're Norvell, is you say, you know what, we can win an ugly game. If we play to our defense and special teams, which should be better than their units, just let the offense not lose this game for us. We can, we can come out of here just fine. And I think Norvell's going to be one of those guys that's going to be willing to, to win that way. And again, as you come into this, you've got to expect that there's going to be some sloppy tackling, there's going to be sloppy execution on both sides on offense, and this is going to be an uneven game overall. But again, the team that is better on the line of scrimmage and better at quarterback is generally going to win games, and I think Florida State is actually at an advantage on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Tackles probably aren't at a big advantage, but I think Florida State's actually going to be better on the interior of, the offensive li- of their offensive line than Georgia Tech is at defensive tackle, believe it or not. So I think Florida State will be able to block them, I don't think they're going to have a, a great time blocking Florida State, although they do have one guard who's very, very good. But I think they're going to have a hard time blocking Florida State. And I think that's going to lead to a, a game of defense and field position and running the football, a lot of running the football in this game. The spread is 12 and a half, Florida State favored by 12 and a half with the over-under of 54 and a half. I think the under is what I would play here. If I were going to play anything, and and I think the spread is pretty close. I, I'm going to go with Florida State 27-17. I think there will probably be a cheapie in there somewhere, where you know maybe a fumble, may you know short field somehow, or just some sort of big play, some bust happens. And again, I, I mentioned this on the season preview. Fuller's defenses last year gave up some cheap plays early in games on a few occasions, so don't be surprised to see something like that here. But I think ultimately Florida State's going to tighten up after after a couple big plays where you're going to see Collins and, and that group they'll come in extra prepared for a couple with a couple things. Once things settle down, I think Florida State's going to control the line of scrimmage and ultimately pull away with a a win that's probably not dominant, probably a little tighter than what a lot of people want, but something that actually you can build on if you're if you're Mike Norvell and the staff. I think this is about an 80%, maybe 85% odds of a Florida State win. I've got it at 27-17 gonna be interesting to see how all this looks i know a lot of people out there still have a little ptsd a lot of ptsd from the last couple years and remember florida state hasn't opened the season with a win since 2016 against Ole miss so it's been a while let's see if if it happens this year it's a good opponent good matchup for florida state i think norvell's patient approach and florida state's quality defensive line ultimately lead to a florida state win here for the first time in an opener in four years, wow! This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the Bleach Numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Lanninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. I made this.